about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. In this episode, I am chatting to Lance Stringer. Today we explore the pain and grief of losing a much-loved family pet. For those who own a cherished pet, you will understand that losing an animal is like losing a much-loved family member, and this can trigger all sorts of painful emotions. Lance has a lot of experience in supporting families at this time. His companies, Lawnswood and Eden Hills Pet Cremations, provide incredible caring support to those mourning the loss of a much-loved animal companion. So thank you Lance so much for joining us this morning. Facing the loss of a pet can be overwhelming and totally devastating and and just because our furry friends aren't human it doesn't mean that they aren't part of our family. So what can we do to navigate this very difficult time after a much-loved pet dies? Well thanks and yeah it's it's a good question it's very important Um, and the first thing that I would suggest is you know take it seriously. Something like this can't be glossed over. Um, And some people have friends which will, you know, mean well, but it's quite often unhelpful if the friends say, what are you worried about? It's just a dog or it's just a cat. And there's nothing just about it. You know, we're talking about a member of the family and, you know, it can hit different members of the family in different ways emotionally, Um, particular um, breeds of animals, um, you know, bond with their owners differently. And for instance, the, the one that springs to mind is German Shepherds are quite often a, a one master type of dog where they'll love the whole family, but there'll be one member of the family in particular that that dog will really bond to. And that will affect, obviously the grief will affect that particular member of the family much more strongly because of the stronger bond. So preparing for it, I think is pretty important as well. Um, sometimes you don't have, uh, I guess, warning when you know, the pet is gonna die, if it's an accident or something like that, obviously. But sometimes it can be an illness um, and sometimes those illnesses are quite drawn out and that in itself is very traumatic. But the more that you can prepare um, for the inevitable and have a plan for how you're going to cope with that and you might need to you know take some time off work and that might have been something that was you know frowned upon 10 20 years ago but these days i think bosses are a bit more sympathetic you know if you need to take a day off especially if you're going to you know, have your pet euthanized quite honestly your boss isn't really going to want you back at work um, after that yeah you, know? uh, you really need to take the time to process that and, and spend some time with the family if they're involved so um yeah, just because you're human um, doesn't mean it's it's not going to um, affect the family. Other things you can do to navigate it is uh, you know, do a little bit of reading. We actually provide uh, clients with a brochure, which I think you're going to make a link available with this interview. And I think that's just really helpful to prepare yourself and, and think of the different things. And then, you know, have a plan. You're going to need to, you know, gather up all the things that will remind you of that pet um, throughout the house, like water bowls and beds and blankets and things like that. It's going to have to be done at some stage. 
And quite often it's a little bit more helpful if you do that early on and uh, get it all out of the way, you know, um, all at once. And so it's not just a constant reminder that keeps upsetting you uh, for weeks and weeks to come. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine that having all of those bits and pieces, you suddenly realise how much of your life your pet consumed and, and there's pieces of them everywhere and having those reminders around um, is a constant reminder of what you've lost as well. And just Lance, you mentioned about taking some time off work. I relate that to my own experience many years ago when my first dog that I had died, I was totally unprepared for how devastating that was. And you know, I ended up taking a couple of days off work because I was no use to anybody in work. Um, Absolutely. I was going to say, it's important to try and have some supportive people around you at the time as well. You know, it's not great if you um, are by yourself. You know, obviously some people don't have that luxury of having people around, especially in these COVID times while we're doing this interview. But if you can have some supportive people, a friend that you know, understands, you know, fellow animal lover, uh, sometimes it's even, you know, going for a walk down the park, you know, down the dog park where you used to walk your dog. And there'll be familiar faces down there and they'll be very sympathetic to what you're going through. It's just nice to have someone acknowledge that, you know, what you're going through is actually real and it's quite normal and it's quite natural and healthy. Absolutely. And so, Lance, very often the death of a much-loved pet can be a child's first experience of death and grief. And when a child is supported to navigate those early losses in their life, it can help them deal with other losses in the future. What can we do to support? children when their much-loved pet dies? Well, I guess the a positive thing is that um, unlike us adults, ch children are naturally inclined to show their natural emotions. They don't have you know, too many guards up trying to mask what they're feeling. So you'll see the signs you know, fairly openly and they'll kind of teach you, you know, what you need to, you know, what they need to, to mourn. But children mourn differently to us adults. They mourn in doses. And it's a bit like a roller coaster. You know, us adults, we start off at a very high emotional level. We're very upset. You know, there'll be tears and, and crying and howling and, and so forth. And then that will gradually, um, you know, decrease over time. The time varies from adult to adult. Whereas children will, they'll have a cry. And then, yeah, and certainly that was my experience when our um, dog died. Um, was my son Harry? He was, you know, he was overwhelmed by it, and you know, he was crying. And then he wiped the tears away. And about you know, five minutes later, he goes, "Well, so we're we going to get a, another puppy, Dad." <laughs> you know? and, and as well, you can get quite mortified at that. And uh, it's like, well, didn't you like love Cookie? But it's not about that. It's yeah, it's just how children deal with it. And then you know, the next day, I'll see him, you know, a bit upset because he's you know, come across one of Cookie's toy balls or something like that. Yeah, so, and then they go through that again. So they, they kind of uh, mourn in doses, you know, little bits at a time. So just because they've stopped crying today doesn't mean they're not going to be upset in another week's time when something else triggers them. And gradually that will you know, wear down. Um, but yeah, we just need to recognise they do you know, react differently to us adults. The other thing um, worth pointing out around um, ex just explaining the concept um, of death to a child is quite often their first experience with death and uh, it's it's very helpful if if us adults are very uh, matter-of-fact about it and very straight and honest with the children sometimes I think historically um, we've been sort of encouraged to you know say things to the kids like oh well you know you know Rover's gone to the farm or yeah he's gone to sleep or something like that and for a, you know for a young kid that doesn't help them understand what's actually going on because then they expect Rover to come back from the farm or 
wake up and, and be back part of the family again, that's of course never going to happen. So it's really important that we are honest with our kids and explain the concept of death to them and use words like death, dead and died. You know, it might sound brutal, but that's actually, they want honesty from us and they deserve that, you know, that honesty. So it's been well and truly, you know, uh, proven by psychologists. It's actually more helpful to be straight up with the kids. Absolutely. And that reminds me, when I was a little girl, I got told that my much loved pet at home was sent to the farm. And the question that I remember constantly asking, which farm did he go to? And as adults, we remind our parents of of that all the time. But that's what they thought at the time was the right thing to do. So, Oh, best of intentions. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, Lance, we have to make some really tough decisions with our animals' best interests at heart, like making the decision to euthanize them. And as a dog owner, I can imagine how incredibly difficult that decision is to make. Have you any advice for anyone around that? Yeah, look, it's um, we need to trust our own judgment. And let's think for a moment. I mean, we all love our, our pets, you know, in a huge way. The last thing we would do is make a you know, premature decision um, to end their life you know, when it comes to euthanasia. So if you're grappling with that decision, it's obviously there's a very you know, real issue. There's a very real need there. And more often than not, us pet owners will leave it potentially longer than we should in the case of the animal. Um, I know I was certainly accused of that myself by my wife when my uh, beloved Jessie had cancer and uh, she was a Kelpie. And, uh, uh, you're trying to gauge as an owner at what point, especially when it's a long illness like that, at what point is the point? And it's a very final point, you know, and pet lovers, uh, we often feel like we're taking on the responsibility of God by making a, literally a life or death decision. But this, you know, this being that, you know, has depended on us for, you know, 14 years or something like that. So it weighs very heavily, but I think you have to trust that um, you you're making an usually an informed decision and you've usually got a vet who's you know obviously a medical professional advising you as to you know how much pain um, your pet may or may not be in what their quality of life is likely to look like in the, the coming days and weeks we take all that into account we make that decision and then once we make the decision we've you know, really got to run with it and accept it ourselves and trust in ourselves that we have made the best decision we could with the information at hand and not let ourselves out up about it afterwards you know the decision's done and you've done it with the, uh, the best intent you certainly haven't done it for selfish reasons you know we we, we have seen examples and and you know uh, some of our clients would even put their hand up and admit it that you know we've been a bit selfish over the years where we've actually kept the pet going for a bit too long and they perhaps suffered a bit because of it. And then that itself can create feelings of guilt. And I've certainly seen that in clients where they beat themselves up because they left it a bit too long. But it's just such a hard decision, isn't it? Oh, it's just a heartbreaking one. Absolutely. And uh, just with that in mind, um, I know here in Melbourne, obviously, because of the COVID restrictions, I'm just conscious that uh, recently I had to attend a vet and, and we had to wait outside. Do you know if there's any sort of provisions in place at the moment to support families who are having to make those tough decisions during COVID, whether they can be with their animal? Yeah, look, it is really tough um, with that sort of situation. Um, yeah, doing car park consults isn't ideal. Of course, it varies. So when you ask that question, you're talking about um, like phone support and things that people can access? Or, well, no, can they be with their animal as they're being euthanized? 
Yeah, that will, I would say, and you know, I don't want to um, say what every vet can and can't offer, um, but more often than not, the vet will do everything within their power to make the situation as comfortable as possible for both the pet and the owner. Okay. What um, vets tell me is that as long as the owner is able to, to keep you know, relatively relaxed, it is actually beneficial for the pet to have the owner in the room because it gives the pet you know, a, a sense of safety and security and you know, everything's going to be okay. However, if the owner is you know, highly, um, you know, highly anxious and highly emotional, well, sometimes that isn't the best thing. But you know, quite often, you know, clients are using their regular vet. The regular vet understands you know, the temperament of the owner. Quite often us humans are the more challenging <laughs> to deal with rather than the actual pet. Yes. Uh, and so I just encourage people to take their vet's advice. Um, you know, they're, they're thinking with a very clear head. They're very well-trained professionals. They've been through this. They've seen so many different scenarios before. So if the vet gives you some advice, it's, uh, it's probably you know, a really good idea to take it. Absolutely, yeah. And so preparing for the loss of a pet, whether they're being euthanized or, or you know that they're very unwell or getting older, preparing for the loss of a pet can be very tough as well. Are there any decisions that we can make before they pass away, before, you know, to help navigate that time afterwards? I think, um, you, you know, us humans, we have the bucket list. I've actually, there's actually bucket lists for pets these days. <laughs> And I think it's, you know, especially if you know, you're grappling with the feelings of guilt that you're going to have to play God, you can offset that a little bit, go, well, I'm going to have to make that decision. I'm going to give Rover the best damn send-off he can possibly have. And, yeah, you spend the, the, you know, the week or the fortnight or the days leading up to it just ticking all the boxes you reckon Rover would really enjoy. So, you know, it's a, you know, it's a drive out in the country with his head hanging out the window. It's you know, <laughs> having a rump steak or something every night for dinner, you know, because you're not worried about the calories. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, you know, and just really enjoying that time, you know, together so that you can, you know, give him a, a really good send off. You know? Yeah. And is there any practical decisions that are worth thinking of beforehand, you know, Lance, that can Yeah, so, so as, as far as the practical side of things, once again, planning is, is everything. Um, it can really help things go smoothly. So, once again, talk to the vet about, you know, booking in a time. Try to you know, work with the vet to book in a time of day that's going to be you know, good for you and the pet, but also a quiet time in the vet clinic um, when they're not going to be so busy. So they've got the time to you know, really focus on you guys. Also, have a think about what you would actually like to do um, with the body of the pet afterwards. So practically thinking, are you going to want to you know, take Rover Ham or, you know, or Tiddles the Cat to have it um, then buried at home with you if you're fortunate enough to have some land somewhere. Probably most metropolitan councils in Australia um, do prohibit the burying of pets in the backyard. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's for a variety of reasons, um, mostly to do with health. There's you know, concerns about the water table and, and chemicals that are used in treating um, animals these days, you know, who animals these days get you know, treatments the same as humans, you know, cancer treatments and things like that. So quite often that, that pet will have a lot of chemicals in them and if that leaches into the groundwater, that's not so flash. The other more direct um, health implications are, you know, not every person is uh, capable of, of digging a hole deep enough and I've certainly seen that myself. A lovely lady gave me a call years ago to, um, to exhume her pet because she buried it 
in summer in a, a very warm climate and in the sand only probably about five meters from her kitchen window and she probably only had it a few inches from the surface um, yeah it's just well she did give us a call and we promoted that pet for her um, you can imagine the scenario if, if you've got other dogs other animals in the backyard if you've got kids playing around you know in the dirt and you know, the kids love digging and stuff like that so there's a whole range of scenarios that we don't necessarily think about at the time especially when you're racked with emotion um, a lot of practical things to consider and that's before we go down the track of from you know so those are the health issues and that's around the council regulations but then a lot of people say to me well look Lance you know I decided to get a promotion because you know I'm only renting or if I sell this house in five years time I don't want to think about Rover being dug up for you know new reticulation or a swimming pool or when the place gets subdivided or something so those are some of the thoughts you know practical thoughts around you know burial there are pet cemeteries in different states around Australia. It's probably a, it's really something that's, uh, I guess it's uh, decreasing in number. We've got one of the, the few ones in uh, WA. Um, Melbourne is without a, um, a pet cemetery to my knowledge at the moment. Well, I think there's one starting up shortly, but it's very hard to find land within the metro, you know, near a metro area that um, people are prepared to essentially write off forever because you're going to you, know, you should do that if you're going to have a cemetery there. You really don't want it being disturbed. So by far the most people will choose for a, um, a cremation these days. There's two types of cremation. Um, the, the more popular or more regular these days is a private cremation. And that's where that pet and that pet alone is placed into a cremation chamber. And then the, that way the ashes can be returned back to the client, exactly the same as any other family member. And that's what most of our clients uh, choose. The other option is a communal cremation. And that's usually where the client has said, look, I, I actually don't have a, an emotional connection to the body of my pet anymore. And I just would like to have a, um, basically it's a, a hygienic you know, method of uh, you know, disposing of the pet's remains. And so they'll ask the vet for that and the vet will usually organize that. And then all the, you know, those sorts of pets are all cremated together and then the ashes buried. Okay. So, and that's obviously for you know much uh, lower price. Um, yeah, that'll cost somewhere around about a hundred dollars usually, whereas a private cremation is you know usually around about three hundred dollars. Okay, perfect, lovely. And so, when our animal has died, what are some of the ways that we can honour their memory? There's an increasing uh, range of ways that people honour their pet's memory. Um, if you'd have told me, you know, 10, 20 years ago that uh, We'd be providing teddy bears to clients and uh, and jewellery and, and things like that. I would have said you were nuts, but uh, <laughs> it's really quite a thing these days. And uh, and the more I see it, and the more I see the the happiness it brings to people, the you know the more I'm you know really happy that we can do that these days. So you can get as I say the teddy bears, especially if the kids like that because they can you know give it a cuddle. So you can actually have the ashes out there placed in, into a pouch and put inside you know, sewn inside the teddy bear, and then a little scarf goes around the teddy bear with the pet's name on it. And oh, um, it's not just the kids, obviously. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of mums out there get those too. <laughs> um, then you can have jewellery, stainless steel jewellery that's you know, not even expensive, but you can have just a, a little bit of the ash inside. There's glass domes now, they're really cool and, and they're just, it's like a paperweight um, made out of you know, blown glass and the ashes are infused in that. 
So it looks like a, you know, sort of like a spacey sort of thing. It looks like you know, angel dust or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's actually really attractive and it actually doesn't look anything like an urn or you know, anything morbid, like something you'd pick up if you went into some trendy wine region and went to some you know, bespoke artist place on holiday. And so it's a really positive thing that you can have out on open display and it's not going to freak out visitors to your house. It's that sort of thing. You know, people are you know, getting the ash these days and infusing an ink and tattooing uh, an image of their pet on themselves, which quite often makes the partners jealous that the, the dog's got more uh, space than they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, people are, you know, it's different. Yeah, horses, of course, it's different things for different people. Absolutely, yeah. And you sort of mentioned this briefly at the start of our conversation and surrounding yourself with people who understand. But for anyone who is trying to support a friend who's lost an animal, what are some of the things not to say to someone? Well, well, you know, as I mentioned before, the classic is, you know, what are you so upset for? It's it's just a pet. It's just a dog. Um, So that's what not to say. Don't say she'll be right. You'll get over it. Yes, this will get over it. Well, you don't get over it, you get through it. And you get through it over time very gradually. It's not something where you're going to wake up in five days' time and go, oh, that's, I feel totally fine now. You know, it's, a, it's a gradual process. Sometimes um, we're very conscious that um, you know, our clients will tell us stories about their pet and some of them aren't too, uh, too complimentary, <laughs> shall we say. And, that, and, and they're allowed to do that because that's their pet. They've got a relationship. Um, but we certainly don't buy into it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you've got to respect the pet. Yeah, so those are probably the, the things that come to mind for me about, you know, what not to say. And I can imagine the, the other thing not to say is asking someone like your son, when are you getting a new one or will you get a new dog or will you get a new cat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, don't, you certainly don't force that on them. And everyone takes a different amount of time. You know, some we see a lot. Some people literally go out the next day and they go to the dog shelter and they adopt the dog, and because that's what they need to get through it. And that's that's great for them. There's no right or wrong way to grieve. That's probably if there's one thing I could you know say to people today, it's there is no right or wrong way to grieve. You know, whatever works for you is the right way. You know, it, it, it's fine. You know, no one can tell you that you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And Lance, we're very familiar with the concept that ritual is a big part of the grieving process, but we're not very familiar with doing some sort of ritual to farewell our animals. Is this actually a thing? Do people do that? Yeah, well, us Australians especially have our own particular rituals, don't we? (laughs) And quite often what we find is that our rituals for remembering our pet are tied into what we used to do with the pet. Um, when they're alive and bouncing around the place. So quite often if the, if the client is going to scatter the ashes, that will be at or, you know, at the farm. If it's, you know, it could be in the backyard and sometimes they'll invite, you know, friends and family over, especially if the dog was a bit of a character and uh, a lot of interaction that used to go on, you know, with friends and stuff like that. Well, then the friends are actually, they are actually grieving as well because they reckon, you know, Blue is a pretty cool dog. So, um, yeah, they'll come over and they'll crack a few beers and uh, have a toast of Bluey and, um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, very Australian. Yeah. <laughs> and what about funerals? Is funerals a thing for animals? It's not something that's a, a big thing. There's, um, a, like, and you're probably thinking of a traditional human funeral. 
So that's a very, uh, very few people go for that at the moment, but it's probably more uh, what we're finding more and more clients will do though, is they'll come in and they'll have a family viewing. So it's not a, a official service or anything like, but it is where we have a room set aside for people. Um, it's like a com comfortable lounge room type environment where you know, we prepare the pet for them and they, especially if other family members weren't present when the pet passed away, it gives those other family members a chance to come in and actually say goodbye to the pet in a nice, you know, controlled environment. You know, we take care of everything for them and it, yeah, that tends to give them a, you know, a lot of um, comfort. So they're not looking for anything formal. They're not, you know, trying to go over the top or anything. You know, I think there's a bit of a misconception that, you know, a service, you know, a pet cremation service is some over-the-top, you know, crazy ritual thing. No, it's really down to earth. It's for the average mum and dad, you know, in the suburbs. Um, it's just such a normal part of, you know, the grieving process. Absolutely. And yeah, I suppose one of the things that for funerals for humans, a very important part of it is sharing memories. And I suppose for families as well, like they don't have to have that formal structure to be able to share memories and, and stories and funny moments. Well, actually, you touched on a really good point there because sharing the memories and we've got an incredible vehicle for sharing memories these days in social media. And don't we see that go off um, when a person loses their pet and the photos and um you know and of you know and there's some really cool photos of, of pets you know in doing different things and it's, it's great for us to see as well because we actually like seeing the you know, um the pet when it was bouncing around and you know really embracing life and having fun with their family and so on our facebook site you'll quite often see you know, little sort of tributes to these pets and the client will build a little bit of a shine almost either with a, a photo frame of the pet and then the ashes next to it and we provide a candle and they'll light the candle and yeah, just going through that. We as human beings have a, a requirement built into us when we, when we care for someone or something to really acknowledge their, that, that person's or that animal's importance to us, you know, the, 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 more, the closer the relationship, the more the respect, the more we have the need to memorialise. And that's why you see people do big headstones and stuff like that in human cemeteries. Now, with pets, we just do it differently. And with social media these days, it's a great way for people to share with everyone they know, you know, to honour their pet and also share with those people, you know, what's going on for them. You know, look, I'm going through a tough time at the moment. This is why. And you see photos, you know, a couple of photos of, you know, this pet, you know, with the family, especially at different stages of the family's life where, you know, kids are growing up and stuff like that. You get it, you know, like mine. My, my uh, you know, dog's been, you know, with me since, you know, um, you know, the kids were really young and now, you know, they're leaving schools. So, you know, they've been a, that dog's been a massive part of that chunk of their life. Yeah, yeah, gorgeous. So Lance, thank you so much for having a, a cup and a chat with me today. I usually end these conversations by asking you, what's your drink of choice this morning? I know it's early in WA, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely my drink of choice this morning is a cup of tea and it'll just be one for me. Otherwise I'll be unbearable with too much caffeine. Uh, oh, from tea? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, it's been really, really lovely chatting with you. And um, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and experience with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you.